Welcome to Life, Love, Insight, Fertility Experiences. My name is Lori Metz, and I created this podcast to help answer questions for those who are trying to conceive. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, and welcome to Life, Love, Insight, Fertility Experiences. I am so thrilled and honored today to have the two people who started IVF Babble on. And this is going to be Sarah and Tracy, and I'm just going to let them introduce themselves and tell them about this unbelievable organization if you haven't heard about it. And I would hardly believe those of you who haven't, so I'm so glad to introduce it to you if you haven't. What a wealth of information they have put together because of their own journey. So Sarah, Tracy, I don't know who wants to start, but if you could just introduce yourself a little bit and, you know, tell us how you got started and how the two of you met and formed this incredible organization. Wow. Thank you, Laurie, so much for, first of all, just asking us to to talk to you. Me and Tracy never tire of talking about why we set up IVF Babel. Basically, what we have done with IVF Babel is we've created something that myself and Tracy both wish we'd had when we were trying to conceive. What I'll do is I'll just tell you very, very in brief a tiny bit about my journey, and then I'll pass on to Tracy, and then we can tell you what we created with IVF Babel. And, and I might even start by just saying now that I'm the proud mummy of IVF twins who turned 13 this year. So needless to say, my TTC, my trying to trying to conceive journey was a lot different. In fact, more than 13 years ago, sort of 13, 14, 18 years ago. 18, my maths is terrible. Basically, 13 plus four. No, that's not 18, is it? Anyway, a long time ago. It was, it was very different then, right? Everything is <laughs> so different. It was very different back then, but I was trying to conceive for about four, four to five years. And I sort of went in very, very naively, not really understanding anything about infertility, why I couldn't conceive or what the next steps were. But I had, I basically had two rounds of IUI and a round of IVF and finally a round of ICSI. My ICSI was successful in that I conceived. But I also managed to develop the worst side effect from IVF that you can get, <laughs> which is called severe OHSS, ah. which is where you become overstimulated. And it was a pretty horrific experience. Oh, and of course, oh gosh, it was terrible. And of course, I didn't have anything like IVF babble to turn to. So I just suffered in silence. And it was during that suffering that I thought, I am going to, like, if I get through this, I'm going to do something to help others. And it was then when Tracy spoke to me and said, you know, I'm thinking of setting up something that I wish I'd had. And it's like, oh my God, this is the woman. That's it. I'm going to create something with her. So that's a very, very, very speedy summary of my journey. <laughs> You're bringing tears to my eyes with this story, but it's, I'm sorry you had to go through all that, but... But I came out with two incredible girls that I still pinch today because I can't quite believe I did it. And what a legacy you're leaving. So, you know, many people haven't even ever heard of what you said that you had gone through. And, uh, you know, the, the great thing is, is that today, I mean, when I got severe OHSS, it was a 1% chance of getting it. So it was very rare back then. Now it's pretty much zero because obviously doctors are so much more aware of what 
severe OHSS is and how they can avoid it, which is phenomenal news for any woman who's about to embark on IVF. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing. But tea, I'm going to hand over to tea, tea. Tell us about oh, your... Thank you so much, Laurie, for inviting us on today. It's, uh, it's an honour for us. But with my journey, it was 10 years. I had two IVFs either side of those 10 years. And I had... Uh, so the first one failed. I had Nick Topic after that. Oh, no, sorry, just before that which then made me realize how much I wanted to have children. So myself and my husband decided to go ahead with the first IVF. And we didn't have many tests at all. We just went straight into it, had the regular tests, and that was it. And I kept on having this really sort of lower left kind of ache. And I basically saw three gynies who during those next nine to 10 years basically said, oh, because my GP had said, my doctor had said, I think you've got endometriosis. But those three gynos, one said I had wear and tear. Another one said it was a digestive problem, take some orange powder. And another gyne said, look, you know, I just think it's your age. And, you know, what do you want? And I couldn't believe it. And so actually, then I went on to have five miscarriages and I then eventually on the verge of considering having, a, well, actually going for adoption, my father, became, I have to include him in this because he, he encouraged me to think, okay, maybe I can do this. My father was super unwell and then became worse and worse and when he was in the hospice, I was sleeping with him, next to him. And he wasn't speaking. Then one day he grabbed hold of my hand and he said, you must have children, Tracy. And I turned around and said, but dad, how am I going to do that? I am the age that I am. And he said, I've always told you there's no such word as can't. It'll be the making of you. So when we were going ahead with adoption, his words came into my head. And I spoke to Ben about it, my husband, and he said, should we give it one more go? So we decided to go ahead with IBF and we went to go and see a consultant who came highly recommended. And he basically did lots of tests I hadn't had before and found out that I had endometriosis, I had a polyp, had a blocked tube, I had a thyroid issue. And so... You know, obviously with the endometriosis, he was able to clean the tube, unblock the tube, clear a little bit of that out, take thyroxin for the thyroid and take the polyp out. And after all of that, basically we went ahead with the next IVF and we were told on the day of transfer, basically the guy said, look, I don't think we should transfer too, which I understand and that's totally, totally right. But, but on the day, they said, look, one's not such a good grade egg and the other one is okay. Anyway, in the end, I went ahead with the, the uh, double, because it was my decision. I said, actually, let's just go with it. And, um, and what was very beautiful was that the day that I found out I was pregnant happened to be Father's Day. 
and it also happened to be my dad's birthday so it was very special and it was you know I had a couple of scary moments with them but but I was very blessed at 35 weeks to have my beautiful girls and when I was sort of wheeling them around in their pram in a sort of local high street I had a girl a woman that ran over to me and she said oh my goodness are they natural and I said no they're IVF and she said, oh, I wish I could have children, but my doctor said it's not possible. I said, sorry, how old are you? And she said, I'm 37, and he's told me that it's not my destiny, probably. And I said, one second. So anyway, I wrote down the consultant, this is who you've got to go and see. Da, da, da. Anyway, cut a long story short, she went on to have a child. But actually, it horrified me so much, and it made me realize not only my journey where I would go on Google and try and see what was out there, I was terrified by all these very scientific sites. And for me, I would have loved to have had something that was delivered in a much softer way that I felt was an easy read. And basically, you know, there was lots of forums, which are fantastic. But actually, sometimes patient guidance can be quite scary as well, because there were people that would say, look, don't worry. You know, this happened, I had similar symptoms, and then people hang on to that. Right. And then actually they're listening to someone who everyone's journey is unique and is different testing. And so then obviously met up with Sarah and, you know, she was really excited about it. I had, you know, my wonderful children. And, um, and then we sat down and went, okay, we've got to change this. People can't go through our journeys. The other couples can't do this. This is not okay. And 10 years isn't okay. I could have had the, that testing a lot earlier. And also the misdiagnosis in between times when I was going through my miscarriages. And by the way, one of those miscarriages happened at work. And I, I basically had a, you know, I worked all hours and went to the bathroom as such and came back to my desk and had to work late that night. Oh, my goodness. So on the back of, of all of that, Sarah and I said, okay, let's set something up that was friendly, that looked like a magazine, that had a lot of imagery, and let's try to work out how we could get people talking about their journeys to inspire others. What I think is so remarkable is that between the two of you, you have gone through so much and so many different types of experience when it comes to infertility. And you're so knowledgeable personally and professionally at this point. And it, IVF Babble does look like a magazine. I love the name. I don't know how you came up with the name, but I love it. Oh, that's so, so lovely. I mean, it was just, it was just Babble is an old English word of, you know, talking. And uh, I mean, talking, and we just kind of thought, okay, you know, it is talking about IVF. Uh -huh. So let's, let's just, yeah, make it IVF bubble. <laughs> but also, also that you picked up on, on the magazine, the word magazine there. And what was really important for me and Tracy is that we, you know, we normalize infertility. And, and I've spoken many times about how when my, you know, after everything I went through, when I finally gave birth, what I should have been doing was, you know, high-fiving myself and shouting to everyone, look what I've been through. And I did it. And I, you know, I've got my twins. But instead, I was so ashamed that I'd had fertility treatment. 
that I said to my husband, please don't tell anyone they're IVF because I just thought I'm not a proper woman. I'm not a real woman because my body doesn't work. And I was ashamed of that because IVF had been only ever spoken about, you know, in whispers and, um, you know, and on online, everything so was so medical and no one was talking about it. So it was really important for me and Tracy to create something normal looking. Yeah, you know, I really flash. Yeah, I'm so glad that you mentioned that. I'm I'm sorry that you had to go through that, but it's so true. And even today, so many women feel, you know, that they they have failed, that their bodies have failed, that they haven't done what they're supposed to do, and they're embarrassed. When there's nothing yes. embarrassed of, it's a medical condition. And and my goodness, you've gone through everything to get to where you are to build a family. So I agree. I think it takes such perseverance and such resolve in order to go through this journey. Yes. You know, um, I, I've got PCOS, which meant that my periods were so irregular. I never knew when I was going to have one. Oh, my God. And, oh, my God. It's, it's horrific. And I remember being in a bathroom at work in, in the loo, and I was in the cubicle, and there were two other women in cubicles, and one of them went, oh, God, I've got my period. And I remember feeling almost resentful that they were talking so casually about their periods. And I remember thinking, I haven't had a period for months and just feeling so different to them and so isolated and so crap, if I'm honest. And I'm sorry for myself looking back, actually. Yeah, it's so hard. It's really very hard. And, you know, when you want to make it so that everybody has a place to go and to talk or to babble and understand that these are normal things that people go through who are going through fertility journeys, that's a gift. And I look at what the two of you have done as a gift that you've done globally, you know, not just for for your country, but for all over the world. And oh, thank you. We, we'd like to see IVF Babylon as a real safe space. And we encourage readers to write in with their, with their stories and their thoughts and to just express how they're feeling. And we had a woman write in the other day and she said, I want to share with you and I want to share with your readers. She said, I don't like hearing about IVF success stories because she said, the more I hear about people getting pregnant, the more alone I feel yeah. and the more I feel as though I'm the last one standing. Mm -hmm. And we received her, her email and she said she wanted to share. And we thought, wow, this is really brave. This is a really brave thing, but we're going to publish it. And, um, the feedback we had was incredible. We had so many messages from women going, oh my God, I feel the same. I absolutely feel the same. As much as they don't wish any harm on anyone and they obviously want you know, women to you know, achieve their dreams of motherhood, the fear of being the last one standing is phenomenal. Yeah, it's, it's horrific. You know, I talk to people a lot in my practice about you know, can you be happy for somebody but sad for yourself? Is there, yes. you know, is there something wrong with feeling jealous or angry or disappointed? Yeah. You know, and I think very often we want to separate that. You know, we want to really kind of look at the emotion and understand it so that we can move forward. You're so you know, right. You know, feeling like the last one standing is just so lonely. So being able to connect with others is so important. 
Oh, 100%. And actually, when we launched IBF Babel, in a way, you know, we literally thought, oh, we just we want to help as many people as we can, but we had no idea where it would go from there. <laughs> and and it's extraordinary around the world just how many people have been internalizing, not able to talk to people. And we were so shocked there wasn't a World Fertility Day as such. And so we spoke to Louise Brown and we said, look, should we should we go ahead and create one? So hence we created World Fertility Day when in effect she was created as an embryo on which 2nd of November. And it's been amazing to see people not only starting but over the over the last seven years since we launched, how it's changed, how people are talking more. Obviously there's a lot more people on the scene now and they're out there, lots of bloggers. It's amazing. It's all about breaking the silence and raising awareness and you know and also something that we're passionate about is also getting to you know children and teenagers and you know university grads to to highlight about reproductive health but um, yeah so with World Fertility Day we couldn't believe there wasn't anything there before and equally Sarah do you want to speak about the pineapple pen? I, I yes, I, I will. We're quite proud of our little pineapple pin. We basically wanted we wanted to have a, an awareness campaign. And it, okay, I have to try and keep my stories short because I tend to ramble. I'm so sorry, Laurie. <laughs> but rambling. <laughs> You're giving us such. You know, I think it's all so interesting, and it, it's it's all heartfelt and touching. And the industry has gone so far, but to do something to raise awareness and to make people feel like they're part of something, and not only side is is so you know significant yes yes so no no i think any of this is going on and on and the idea behind the pineapple pin is remarkable so that is the awareness yeah well well basically when my ivf failed i was on the tube what we call it tube the underground Mm -hmm. and uh, and i was sat on the tube and I, I don't think I've ever felt so low in my life. I just felt this immense feeling of grief. And I looked at all these people on the pack tube and I thought, my God, does anyone know what I'm going through? Like, this is horrific. And and actually, I then suddenly thought, well, if one in eight people are, are struggling with infertility, the likelihood is this on this pack tube, there could potentially be multiple women who and men who have also failed a round of IVF. And I thought only there was a way of seeing. And the thing is, when you, when you, and we hate the word fail, but if you fail a round of IVF, it's not only the couple who suffer, or I say suffer, whose lives are affected. It's the parents of that couple. It's the sisters and the brothers and the friends who have supported that couple. You know, all of those lives have been touched by infertility. So then we were thinking, well, if you take in all the, into consideration all of those people whose lives are being affected by, affected by infertility, this entire tube would be packed. Mm-hmm. And we, how do we show that lonely woman on the tube whose IVF has just failed that she's not alone? That actually loads of these people would understand what she's going through. Yes. And that's what we thought. Let's make something tangible. Let's make a little pin. And at the time, more and more pineapple pineapple symbols were popping up in the um, 
infertility sort of social media world. And we got to the bottom of it and we found out that people were using pineapples as their little social media, you know, Instagram pictures, because it's a, a sign of community and giving and friendship and love. And so we thought, right, that's it. Let's have the pineapple. But instead, let's have two pineapples together supporting each other. And then we came up with a campaign idea, IVF Stronger Together. And it went crazy. And people were buying pineapple pins all over the world for themselves, for their friends. You know, work colleagues were buying them. That's absolutely lovely. That is fabulous. And when did you do that? How many years ago did that happen? Oh, crikey. Yeah, it was about four and a half, five years ago. And they're still buying them now. And what's beautiful is, so people have met each other in supermarket car parks, on planes, on trains. They've seen someone else wearing pineapple and pineapple pen, and they've suddenly sort of started up a conversation. And some of these people have ended up budding with each other. And then you've had parents and grandparents wearing them because they don't know what to say to their children or grandchildren. And so it shows, uh, you know, we're supporting you. We might not, you know, because sometimes people might ask a question and just say it in the wrong way for that couple. And so just by wearing the pin, it's almost saying, look, we really support you. We're just here for you. You We don't have to say anything. We're just here. Love that. And also, you know, what's been quite significant is people have been buying them for their weddings. You know, and they've been putting on their on their little napkins and then explaining that actually, you know, this is here because we have been on a big journey and either they're fundraising for their IVF or they've had a child through IVF. And just to highlight. But what's really shocking to us, and we had no idea about it, is we suddenly had a phone call one day to say, Do you realise your pineapple pin is in the science museum? And we're like, What? And uh, yeah, we we were in the Sites Museum in London as the symbol of, it was the symbol of hope and support in the the world, which was amazing. Um, It's spectacular. That is amazing. Wow. You know, you said so many things, the two of you just now, that about the emotional support, you know, and, and the parents and the grandparents and the friends and you know how you kind of want the support, but then you don't really want to talk about it, and then nobody says the right thing. And so the idea of buying the pineapple pen just to show the support without having to say anything is so helpful to everybody, right? It's helpful for the person going through the fertility treatment, and it's helpful for the family because it's it's just a symbol of saying we're here. Exactly. And it's so difficult to know what to say. And we have so many readers that are, you know, very upset about when they do speak about their journey or they're faced with having to go to baby showers and other bits and they decide not to. And then there might be family intervention. What, what do you, you know? And it's, um, it's such a difficult, difficult thing to cope with. It's very hard to explain us. Lots of times when people are going through that, I spend a lot of time on communication, obviously, and working with people going through fertility, especially if they're going through third party with donor conception of any kind or surrogacy. And when it comes to communicating, lots of times I'll write people to 
tune into what the communication is eliciting inside of them, you know, the thoughts and the feelings before they respond. And to almost, and I'm sure these are things that you've heard before, but to almost prep yourself for an experience before you go into it to kind of have those answers in your pockets of what you will say so that you're not caught off guard. That's so important. Yeah, it's important. Yeah, it's so important. You had a bad experience, didn't you, when you went someone came over and they and you were talking about do you remember the relation to a cow or something oh yes no i was at a party and it was a party and it was a relative that came over and said um oh sorry i'm so sorry that you know i hear you're struggling to conceive and and i said i said well you know it's very very kind of you to open this discussion <laughs> and uh, and she said you know why aren't, why aren't you conceiving and i said well i've got polycystic ovaries and this is a farmer, a cat. She's a dairy farmer. And she said, my God, she said, so many of our cows have got PCOS. She said, have you thought about getting more fresh air? She said, because often we'll just let our cows just run around the fields. Oh. Uh, you know, we find that helps. And I, <laughs> I thought I'm being compared to a dairy cow. And I, d- I didn't know. <laughs> and bearing in mind, this woman is the mother of four children. What did she do? Like, what did she do? I mean, she meant well. You know, she meant well. But like, what did you do in that situation? But, but I, I thought, I know I need to end this conversation quickly. Um, so I just said to her, thank you so much for your, you know, thank you so much for your guidance. I will indeed try and get more fresh air. And then I turned to my husband and I said, drink (laughs) and he said yep and we walked to the bar (laughs) thank goodness the things that you go through when you do share or somebody does share are just sometimes just so insensitive but don't mean to be so it's such a fine line on who to share what with and who to tell what to yeah but you know that that sort of takes us back to the pineapple pin because in a way, you know, we were saying to people, sometimes if you don't know what to say, it's the little symbols and the touches that, that make all the difference. So we had people buying for their friends because they didn't know what to say, but they wanted to offer support. I just love that. I can't believe, wow, I'd be blown away if, if I did something that was in a museum. That is incredible. Congratulations, ladies, because that's remarkable. So when you go on to your site, there is such a wealth of information. It's just, it's it's enormous, but it's very easy to navigate, which I find very interesting because usually when people have that much information, it's challenging to navigate. Yeah. I love it, that you said that. So <laughs> you agree to it's, It took a while, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, the thing is from the start, we always felt that the key thing that we would have loved would have had, would be to read articles from or hear from leading experts from around the world and that has been you know super important and and then obviously because we had so much information that came in we've i don't know how many articles are in there now but it's it's an awful lot and but it's all incredible information you know from real sort of industry leaders and that's we felt was the key because 
we, I didn't, with my 10-year journey, as I say, I had misdiagnosis along the way. And it was so important to ensure that what was being shared was, you know, the top, you know, the lead information, that it was absolutely factual. And we passed it via an editorial board before we uh, published any information so that we knew that it was factual. And thank you for saying that it's easy to navigate because there are, I don't know, probably about six, 7,000 articles, I think, on our site from people around the world over the last few years. Yeah, I think it's important. It's, I wanted to call attention to it, so I hope you don't mind that I kind of changed it. I moved the conversation just a little bit because the information that you share, I think, really would help people in so many different ways. So the place where you could tell your story, you know, gain some support through that, and um, there's a emotional support just in reading it and maybe participating in some of the conversation. But there's also a wealth of, of medical information and research and studies and blogs and, you know, even the pineapple pen and other things that are so sensitive to people going through this journey. But what, what was really beautiful was when we first saw Stive of Babel, no one really wanted to talk about their journeys. And even celebrities, Sarah works in, in the TV industry as well as with IVF Babble. And she, you know, it was difficult to get anyone to talk about their stories. Within six months, I think, wasn't it, Sarah, that suddenly someone contacted us. You know, she wanted to share their story. And then more and more. And then others started sharing their stories. And then it sort of broke the back of it, you know. It's, it, then everyone, and that's the key, you know, it's, it's about ensuring that people realize that they're not on their own. They're not, you know, there are so many people out there experiencing this. And sometimes people conceive others, for instance, who maybe on, you know, in films or whatever, thinking they've got the perfect world. And so suddenly hearing that it's not at all. And that really made a difference as well. Well, it's huge because people in, you know, the public eye will have children in their 40s and now late 40s, some recently 50, and the people who I'm working with are wanting to know how they conceived, knowing that they probably did not conceive, you know, just by, um, you know, a natural course, but probably had some medical information, but they are, to go back to what Sarah was saying, initially they're embarrassed to talk about it. They feel like it makes them less than, or they just want to keep it private. But when you come out and you're able to talk about it, even if you don't give all the details, but just a little bit, it helps so many, you know, and not just those on the fertility journey, but those in the public eye, you know, or those who are sitting next to somebody going through a fertility journey. It makes it seem and makes it known that this is something that is common, unfortunately, and touches so many. So that that's great. I am so glad to hear that you've gotten more and more people reaching out to you about that in the public eye. I mean, and also sort of during the last few years, we have felt so, you know, obviously so passionate about the fact that there isn't enough fertility awareness out there that we decided to set up a campaign in the UK and basically managed to get with Fertility Network 116,000 signatures and we delivered that to 10 Downing Street. And also the people's stories, like it's shocking. It's shocking, the lack of awareness. 
And then the last few years, you know, we've traveled, you know, many places, including Africa, India, obviously Europe and States and on. And the the stories, you know, the same and sometimes culturally, you know, this needs, there's a lot of work to be done. And, you know, we just want to be able to break that silence. And with all of us and more and more coming in, into the space, you know, maybe we can do it one day. But, you know, there's horrific stories. Horrific. I think you're headed there. I think the two of you are definitely headed there. And there are horrific stories. And, you know, especially in different countries and different cultures. And on the other side, there are some wonderful outcomes. And so going through the process is painful and the grief is, you know, unbearable. So to be able to continue on until you build your family, no matter how you build it, is one of huge resilience, right? Exactly. It's just breaking the silence, raising the awareness, yes, enabling people to understand the options and understanding that they're just not alone. And actually the World Health Organization now say it's one in six. I was going to say, yeah, I am going to say that before, but they are saying one in six. We just had Federal Advocacy Day here in the U.S., and it was interesting because, you know, we have the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, and sometimes one party is more inclined to vote for fertility issues than the other. But when you say one in six, they know that it's touching people in their lives. And it, I think it may be changing the scheme of how people look for legislature here. I'm, I'm hoping it does. I'm hoping it does. So let's see. Yeah, we, we got everything crossed about that. So ladies, let me ask you, I know we have to end soon. Is there anything else or like what's next? Because the two of you have like conquered the world with IVF. I mean, and please, if you haven't gone to the site, please go to the site and look at it because you will you will feel a huge relief once you get there and once you see the information. Oh, that's so kind. Uh, basically, during COVID, we were approached by a corporate who said, why on earth are you guys not doing anything for the corporate world? Because it's important to be able to to raise awareness within companies too. So basically off the back of that, uh, we put our heads together with that particular corporate and created Bevel Health. And Bevel Health is all about reproductive health. So it is basically fertility, pregnancy, menopause, andropause. These guys also have can experience low testosterone levels, related symptoms. We also are covering genetics, reproductive health, genetic issues. And that does also cover things like breast cancer, ovarian, uterine, and on, and cervical cancer. It's, you know, it's really important to highlight these kind of things and be pre- it's preventative and give people the tools and support to be self-advocates. You know, there's too many people that, you know, even speaking to IVF Babel readers, you know, when we've asked them what do they think about something like Babel Health and et cetera, and they have all felt if only they'd had the awareness, they would have dealt with things so much earlier. And so we want to be able to point this towards corporates and health plans but equally individuals and education authorities. Because we were advised to speak at Oxford University just before COVID. And 
basically there, there, there were students there that didn't realize there was a timeline on their fertility that you know didn't realize you know was there an issue that one of them who had a mother that went through menopause in their 30s you know did they need to worry about that and up until that point that wouldn't have been addressed and then after that there was oh okay i better go get myself checked and it's that kind of thing, you know. Also, during COVID, we were approached by quite a few people who were panicking because with the lockdowns and COVID, you know, there was so much upset saying, you know, oh my goodness, I think I'm approaching, I'm in perimenopause now. If I lost my child to have a child, how, how do I cope? So it's about, you know, informing, you know, here's the advice, get tested, now here's the care. And having the support and hand-holding throughout. And, you know, even as a, for instance, when people go through IVF, it's the most amazing science. But when it doesn't work, the emotional upset afterwards and a space, there's just this space where you're just, just left wondering with your own thoughts and where to go, what to do. And look, my journey was 10 years and I was misguided and misdiagnosed within those 10 years, my journey may, um, no one knows in hindsight, of course, but my journey may well have been shorter had I had a little bit of handholding along the way and understanding that I needed certain tests to understand where my next step should be. And so that's what it's all about. And if somebody wanted to like get involved and, you know, really immerse themselves in the community, if they were in the US or, you know, in a different country, is there, are there are chat groups that they could join? Or would they just post, would they post, how would they get involved in that support piece of it? So we have the pineapples out, which, you know, which is always there to support. We also, through our social media, certainly through Instagram, sorry, you you have so many people, don't you DM you, you know, every day with questions. Well, yeah, Instagram becomes such an incredible community. It really has. And so, we, yes, we have a lot of people messaging on there and it's it's wonderful to see, actually. It's wonderful to connect with those people. Well, I just, you know, I can't thank you enough as somebody who works in the field, you know, and uh, works with people going through the family building journeys that you have provided this resource. And it's really, you know, I think it's really more than a resource. It's just, there's so much information there and there's so much expertise there and it comes from a place of people who really understand and it's remarkable that now you're going into this new phase so ladies i don't even know you know how to end this except to thank you both so much for everything you do honestly that's so kind of you but you know i think there's so many people that come into this because of their experiences and, you know, and we just want to be able to help alongside everyone else and incredible organizations like Resolve to be able to just, you know, hold people's hands and make them realize that they're, they're not alone. Yeah. Well, Resolve, I'm very involved in Resolve. Resolve is an incredible organization. Oh, it you know, started the kitchen table and they offer i know when people go there they they feel relief and i know that when people go to your site there has to be a huge sense of relief so if somebody wanted to get a hold of you or 
access the site, where would they go? What would be the best way to, to do that? Would it be to go to IVF Babel and, you know, take a look and respond to something? Or There are multiple ways that people can get in touch with IVF Babel. They can email us at info at ivfbabble.com or they can reach us via Instagram by simply going to IVF Babble Instagram and dropping us a DM. In fact, I think I might just stick with those two for now because they're the simplest ways to get in touch with us. Perfect. Yes. Well, thank you so much again. And if anybody has any questions or comments, please reach out to me at lauriemetz.net. So thank you. <laughs>